Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From Geppetto Studios in Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania, welcome to the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, where we talk about movies, comics, music, books, and whatever else we feel like. Please welcome your host. He's like Dory the Fish, but the only thing he forgets is to put the f***ing toilet seat down. Brad Mendenhall. Hey everybody, it's a thrilling new episode of the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, as friend of the podcast Kyle and his brother Brady, best known as the hosts of the excellent Ghostbusters Minute Podcast, are here to battle it out for our best of the 90s tournament. We have a special judge for the match that I don't want to spoil. But first, Jarf is back for the new segment, Crossing the Streams. Cross the Streams. I love this plan! I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. Crossing the streams, Darf. This was your brilliant idea. Why don't you, uh, why don't you share what what the concept is? Sure, Brad. So there are so many options of video to stream. We thought, as a public service, the Cosmic Geppetto podcast would preview some of those options and pick out real gems that you can stream and enjoy. And what was our first, uh, our, our, our first victim here? The first one was your suggestion, The Tick. The Tick is based on a comic character that was created back in 1988, published by an independent company, New England Comics. It was created by Ben Edlund as a tongue-in-cheek spoof of the superhero genre. I was a huge fan of the comic book back in the 90s, and also a fan of the cartoon that came out in 1994. It was a real breath of fresh air. The main character, the Tick, was this big, super-powered, naive, lost-in-his-own-world figure that's paired with a goofy, nerdy accountant who wants to be a superhero. So they had this great classic comedy, straight man, funny man dynamic. Really over-the-top, silly characters. One of the characters from the comic book was a gangster called Chairface. Chairface Chippendale. And his head was actually a chair. (laughs) And his big scheme was to write his name on the moon with a big laser. So you can kind of get a sense of what the tone was. It it did great as a comic. It, It won a lot of awards, actually, as a cartoon. It also had a short-lived live action series back in 2001 which i enjoyed it it was pretty fun it it was a nice kind of different take on what you'd seen with other superhero movies and tv shows and that you'd see them do a lot of mundane everyday things like going to the laundromat and eating at a diner and it starred the great patrick warburton who is funny and everything I liked your suggestion of talking about this new Amazon series of The Tick. I just watched the pilot today, and they really shook it up and are taking it in an interesting direction. It's on Amazon, and I don't even know if it's been picked up or if they're planning on picking it up. Basically, Amazon has released three trailers for possible TV shows. The Tick, then a show called Jean-Claude Van Johnson, which is a comedy action series starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, and another show called I Love Dick, starring or at least featuring Kevin Bacon. The idea is you watch these three, and then they want comments from the viewers to see which ones they like to see, which, if any, they move forward with. The Tick's really interesting. First off, you mentioned Patrick Warburton, who was in the previous iteration, the live-action version. 
And Patrick Warburton, who was perfect as a tick, and I, there originally had been talk that he was going to reprise the role, and I was very disappointed when that didn't happen because he was perfect as the tick. Patrick Warburton has great comedic timing, plus he's also a big guy. Right. He walks into the room and he looks out of place. Even without being in a tick costume, he looks like someone that stepped out of an old comic book. And he has that over-the-top comedy style. He was really born to play the character. But I think we should talk some about Peter Serafinowicz, who's doing something different with the role, but something that I really like. Peter Serafinowicz, he's an actor who's been around for a while, but nobody really knows his name, but you recognize him. Right. He had a nice little featured role in Guardians of the Galaxy, where he played a member of the Nova Corps. He was the guy who said, I can't believe I'm taking orders from a hamster. And he had a line that they picked up for the promotions for the movie. I think he's the one that calls them a bunch of a-holes, am I right? A bunch of a-holes. The performance of his that I'm a big fan of is he has a supporting role in Couples Retreat. Have you seen this? That was the Vince Vaughn film, right? Yes. Vince Vaughn, Kristen Bell, Jason Bateman. I'm not remembering everybody in it, but it's a great movie, and... They go to a resort for a couple's retreat, and he is this over-the-top, snobbish director of the resort. It's the first time that I saw him do what he's really running with, with his performance in The Tick, where he completely leans into this comedy performance and creates a, a real oddball character. One last performance of his I really liked. He was on a few episodes of Parks and Rec as Lord Edgar Covington, where he was some sort of down-the-line British royalty, and so he was very dignified, but it turns out he was a bit of an idiot. As such, really connected with Andy, the character played by Chris Pratt, who was also an idiot. And then they reunited for Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, that's pretty funny. That, that sounds amazing. I haven't seen that. I'll have to look uh, that up. Just a fun bit because, again, he, he has this, you know, he's, he's, he has the look of somebody with, with dignity. Him being an, a, a, an idiot is a lot of fun. Right. What was your first impression of the new Tick? First impression when I found out or first impression when I saw it? First impression when you saw it. My first impression when I saw it was great, highly recommended. I thought that the comedic chemistry between the Tick and Arthur was great. The Tick's insane monologues are excellent. Peter just has this zany look in his eyes, and a lot of times he's not quite making eye contact with Arthur, and you can see he's just gone off into his own world. He's kind of channeling classic Batman. He's saying things that you just wouldn't normally say. He's he's narrating his own life. And he pulls out these really goofy figures of speech to describe the action. The villains are making the hot cakes of evil, and they're ready to serve them up, which was great in the comic and was great in the cartoon. And he's really delivering it in a, a lot of different funny ways. What was your first reaction? I really liked it. I thought Tick and Arthur were both incredibly well cast. It also did a great job of showing basically the conceit of the Tick when it works well, where the Tick is, his power is, he's, the term he uses, nigh invulnerable. So nothing really hurts him. So he's going through, mowing through the bad guys, just sort of sauntering while they shoot him. They hit him in the face with a board and he just sort of smiles because nothing hurts him. As such, he could just sort of blunder through these situations and through life and not worry about it. And then you have poor Arthur, and they touched upon this where he's just sort of a normal guy. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to be a hero, but he has to think. He's like, no, I'm, if I get hit in the face, it's going to hurt me really, really bad. And you just see the beginning of it where Arthur's trying to sneak around and catch the bad guys being bad guys. And he's trying to be sneaky, and he's trying to make sure he doesn't get caught. And the tick's just leaping into the air and landing next to him and speaking in this great booming voice. And you could just see Arthur's like, he, this guy's going to get me killed because the tick doesn't have to worry about it. And it's sort of funny where tick's trying to explain how he needs to be a hero. Well, the tick doesn't have to worry. There's no stakes for him. He's just an, a well-meaning doofus who can't get hurt by his own stupidity. 
that Arthur is the guy who's going to you know, end up getting killed because of it. I think of the tick as what if Moose from the Archie comics got superpowers. Yeah, completely well-meaning, nice guy, heart's in the right place. He's going to get everybody around him blown up. And what I noticed as a difference in any version that I'd seen before and this pilot that I watched today is how they fleshed out Arthur. Previously, Arthur was the wannabe superhero. That was the only dimension that he had. So as the straight man to Tick's funny man, he would mostly serve the purpose of giving the Tick direction. So he would be the one to tell the Tick, okay, you can't just crash down in the middle of a busy street because that's endangering everybody. You yeah, can't kill people. the reason but... trying to control the Tick. Right. Now they've given this other dimension to Arthur where he has a tragic backstory that connects him to the supervillains. And so he has a stronger motivation for wanting to be the one that unravels this mystery. And they play a little bit with, with what, whether he is sane or not. And they even suggest that the tick could be a figment of his imagination because they flash back to a scene where he hears a voice that's telling him to hunt down this evil nemesis. And it's the same as the voice of the tick, which I think enhances the show because they keep the light tongue-in-cheek tune, but they add some mystery and some depth. Yeah, I'm interested to see if they sort of snuffle up against us with the character where how long will it be until somebody else sees the tick? How right. long until he's uh, Arthur's sister or somebody else, some other good guy, sees the tick? It'll be interesting to see how that plays out, uh, provided this show is picked up. But you were talking about the... the they show what sort of sent Arthur in this direction. He was having ice cream with his dad. His father ended up getting crushed under a Quinjet-style ship that was knocked out of the sky by the big bad of the series, right. the Terror. There was a little bit of fun to it where young Arthur's dad is killed. The Terror walks over at one point after telling his henchmen to kill the good guys who were blinded by, what was it? Super syphilis? Weaponized syphilis, yeah. Weaponized syphilis. And that's ridiculous and over the top, and the terror goes over and like looks threateningly at young Arthur, and then eats his dad's melted ice cream, just to show how evil he is. And that's sort of funny, but then it's also still dark, because the poor kid's dad died, and also it's played for laughs. Oh, the superheroes are blinded by weaponized syphilis. But then the terror, showing some real malice... Tells them, it's like, oh, leave the last one alive, but crush his hands. And you see the bad guys, like, stomping on his hands. It's like, oh, that's, that's dark. You're right. And, and now I know what they meant when they started to promote this show and say, oh, it's the tick, but darker. When you were asking about my initial reaction, my initial reaction when I just heard they were making a new tick show, and then I started to read it, and specifically that it was going to be darker, was trepidation. Because I think that the heart of the character is this lighter tone and comedy. But the way that they're executing it, I think, works perfectly. It does have those darker elements, which raise the stakes and make it more interesting. But still, the overall tone is light. And it makes us sound heartless to say, oh, the kid's dad was crushed by a rocket ship. But it's funny. You have to see it. it. It really, somehow they balance that tone. A big part of it, I think, is cutting in between those dark moments and the funny moments, and then the music that they have in between scenes, which is that old-timey... How would you describe the music? I'm not describing it right. A poppy, happy quality to it. Dark as it gets, it still has a lot of happy strings and happy horns in the background. I guess a little bit of a throwback to the 60s Batman series, a real good mood setter where, okay, it, like the music subconsciously is telling you, it's like, it's going to be okay. Don't worry, it's just a show. Right. Did you catch who's playing the terror? Yes. His name is, is it Jackie Earl Haley? Yes. Really good actor. He's been around forever, played uh, the, the, the all-star player in the original 
a Bad News Bears movie. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know that. But he's Rorschach in Watchmen. Rorschach in Watchmen, and he also has been in the recent, in the first season of Preacher as Odin. Oh, nice. So it's, he, he's gotten the hat trick of comic book movies. How did you feel about his performance as the villain? It goes to what you're saying where he's the darker part. The, the, the terror appeared in the cartoon, and it was just sort of a borderline senile, cranky old man mm-hmm. who was, was now pathetic because he, as an old man, he no longer was effective, but he was still grasping onto his former greatness. Okay. He was really a malevolent character. Although there was like a little over the top, like I say, basically drinking his his victim's father's melted ice cream, but he, he was scary. I mean, it was a scary performance. The, the way they're able to seem to maintain this tone is they have true darkness in this series. But what makes it still work and still give it the lightness is the tick hasn't changed. He's still as happy go lucky and fun loving as ever. Right. So it actually makes him even a little more effective because. Since he's, he's not just bouncing off of other ridiculous characters, he's the only ridiculous guy. And watching this dark world bounce off of him, and it doesn't affect him because he's nigh invulnerable. I agree. And, and I have to admit, even though I always saw the tick for the spoof that it was, I always found it really fun to root for him at the same time. And I think that with the tone of this show, I could have even more fun with that. Well, one thing that's always worked out is... Yeah, he was a dummy. Yeah, he didn't know his own strength. And sometimes he would get everyone in more trouble than they necessarily needed to be in. He was always, his heart was always in the right place. And things would always sort of work out. Even though he was dummy and, and even though Arthur sometimes sort of paid the price a little bit for the Tick's stupidity. Mm-hmm. Arthur always ended up okay. And Tick always did end up, sometimes by accident, saving the day. Right. Where it could be problematic is if Arthur's life completely goes to sh- because of the Tick's shenanigans. And then it might be a little harder to root for him if, oh, he's he's really damaging the life of the people around him. But I sort of trust Ben Edlund mm-hmm. that he, he'll know how to straddle that line. And he is the original creator of the Tick, and he is, this is, is still his project. Edlund's proven himself to be a good writer. He's written for Firefly. He wrote. He's been a on again, off again writer for the TV show Supernatural, which I, I've never watched, but I, I hear it's does a good job of sort of playing with the conventions of its genre. And he also has written for Venture Brothers, which is a really close cousin of The Tick in a lot of ways. I also saw that he wrote for Angel, specifically the episode where Angel is transformed into a puppet. What was it a smiley time? Yes. Fun time. <laughs> Smile time. Yes. Mile time. Even if you've never watched Angel, folks, I recommend Fire Up Your Roku, go into Netflix and watch at least that episode. It was in the last season. It was brilliant. It's it much was. more funny if you've ever seen the show and have the background of Angel always being so grim. And then it's much funnier when he's turned into a puppet. But it was a great like Jim Henson style puppet. And it's just, it's a really funny episode. And, and also, Sort of like this episode of Tick. Kind of creepy in a way. Right. But one of my favorite things is the fact that Ben Edlund, the creator, has been able to be so involved in the Tick throughout the years. He was a big part of the cartoon, and now he is executive producing and writing this new show. So it's just great to see somebody still get to have that direction and steering their vision it's a lot of fun i look forward to I, I i'm hoping this gets picked up i believe there's other scripts already in place so i'll have to keep up keep track and make sure when uh, more episodes are produced really enjoyed it think there's so many great places to go with this my one hope is if it is brought back one thing that i did love that i'm not 100 percent sure this show will be able to uh, set up to do yet was the interaction with the other heroes often they would have great scenes where they would just be at a diner and it'd be Tick, Arthur, Deflator Mouse, right. American Maid, and uh, Sea Urchin that would be the other heroes. And they're all idiots in their own way. And watching them in a Seinfeld-like manner, sitting around and just talking about stuff. 
And I hope they're able to continue that in some form or another, just the, 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 the mundane life of heroes, not just the adventures. Right. That's what I always picture when I think of that, the Patrick Warburton tick. Patrick Warburton live action, I think Deflator Mouse was, they changed his name to Batman Well. Yes, right. <laughs> who was a sort of a Lothario, and he would just keep making the sexual double entendres saying, you know what I mean? And there was Patrick Warburton's like, nope. <laughs> right. It might All be right, harder Joe. to fit it fit that in with this new show, with the direction they're taking it, but they've got a lot of great ways to go. And, and I guess just to wrap it up, we'd encourage folks to to go and check it out. You can go to Amazon.com slash Pilot Season, and you can watch it and you can vote so that we get to see more of The Tick. Yeah, because it ended on a cliffhanger, so we want to see more. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And we are here today to give our contribution to the Cosmic Geppetto's Battle of the 90s All-Stars. That's right. That's going on right now, Round Robin Tournament. And today what we're going to be doing is having a little spirited debate here uh, to figure out what is the best cartoon of the 1990s. And uh, Brady, what are you going to be talking about today? I'm going to be talking about Pinky and the Brain, which was an offshoot of the Animaniacs back in the mid to late 90s. So it, great stuff, great stuff. I can't wait to go in depth about it. What and about I'm going to be taking probably the greatest cartoon of the 1990s, if not all time. I'm talking about John Kay's Ren and Stimpy, which aired on Nickelodeon uh, in the mid-90s to the early to mid-90s uh, for five seasons. Now, i, I got to be honest with you. I mm-hmm. think the format for this show is to debate, and it's hard to debate between these two because they're both classics. I mean, just classic examples of, of animation, especially around that time. Sure. So we might just end up gushing about both of these things. But um, let's let's get into it if you want to. You want to give me a little bit of background on Ren and Stimpy? And- yeah. So the Ren and Stimpy show, uh, so during the early 90s, Nickelodeon was looking to put some uh, new animation on their on their station. And what they did is they opened up a Sunday slot that they were going to start airing new shows in. And they had three shows that, uh, well, maybe it was four, but I remember three definitely that, that started this whole trend off. And they were uh, Ah, Real Monsters, if you remember that. Oh, yeah. And then there was another one called Rugrats, which you remember oh, yeah. Rugrats, Rugrats was a huge hit. Great, great. Yeah, and it started off kind of slow, and then later in the 90s it became a huge thing, Tommy Pickles and all that. And then the other show, which was kind of the Dark Horse, and it's funny because they actually had a character on the show named Mr. Horse, but it was Ren and Stimpy. So basically what happened, uh, this guy, John 
Chris Falusi is his name. John Chris Falusi. We're going to call him John K. Okay. Uh, he went around and shopped this cartoon around to several different networks and was pretty much had the door slammed in his face every time he went somewhere because of the, the networks were like, this is too strange. We're not going to wear air this on ABC's, you know, family oriented Saturday morning cartoon setup. He went to Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon says, okay, this is weird, but we can work with this. We can tone this down. And it's a bizarre show. Oh yeah. To it say is, the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's an adult show, which was somehow edited down and censored for children. So I don't really know where this guy got off thinking that he could go to a, a children's network like Nickelodeon and say, hey, I think this is something that kids would like. Lo and behold, of course, kids did love it because it's dark, disgusting, gross humor. But uh, it definitely didn't fit in with anything else that was on Nickelodeon at the time. And I think that's part of its charm and part of why it's still funny today. So tell me, what is Pinky in the Brain? All right, so Pinky and the Brain is an offshoot of an animated series called Animaniacs, which was great. And, and, and I kind of attribute it to some of Pixar's work because Pixar, their brand of comedy can appeal to both children and adults. I mean, there's a little bit in there for everybody. And the stuff that isn't there for adults, really, I think the only, only the adults are going to catch. And uh, by that, I mean references to things that are just going to go completely over children's heads. And uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Definitely nothing wrong with that. But Animaniacs premiered on the WB. It was a Warner Brothers production in 1995, and it ran to about 1998. And it was produced by Steven Spielberg uh, as part of his Amblin television label. Uh, it was created by Tom Ruger. I believe I'm pronouncing that right, R-U-E-G-G-E-R. But again, like I said, it was just filled to the brim with re- you know Hollywood references and things like that. Uh, there was even some jokes about Sean Young in there and... and you know, I remember that yeah. episode. It was a bizarre episode. Yeah. The, the whole thing was about the the uh, competition between Hook and Batman Returns, right? Yeah, it was a very Warner Brothers centric show. I know, like Steven Spielberg's uh, cartoon character even showed up. I believe Tim Burton did as well. Mm-hmm. So, just things that I think an older audience is going to catch, and it's still funny enough that kids are going to see it. Think it's goofy. There you go. Um, but Pinky and the Brain, like I said, was an offshoot of that, and it was about two mice. One of them was just a complete ditz, and the other was just a uh, like almost like a criminal mastermind. And they were always plotting some kind of big scheme to take over the world. In fact, that was their signature line was, you know, what are we going to do tonight? Uh, Or no, we're going to do the same thing. The same thing we do every night. Yeah. We're going to be doing the same thing we do every night, try and take over the world. So it was just hilarious, hilarious stuff. Um, So the episode that I did is called Das Mouse. And you know, that's a reference to Das Boot. And uh, basically what it's about. Well, let me say this beforehand. It is ironic that the hosts of Ghostbusters Minute are covering this episode because there is actually uh, a voice actor who did one of the lead voices on the real Ghostbusters, uh, on the real Ghostbusters cartoon. Really? Who's that? Is, that? Uh, Maurice LaMarche. And he did the voice of Egon. Oh, really? So, yeah. Oh, wow. Was, I, can, I can hear that now that you say that. Egon does sound yeah. like the brain. Yeah. And it's funny because he's, he's you know, basically impersonating Orson Welles. It's mm-hmm. pretty obvious. And he actually did the voice of Orson Welles in Ed Wood. And Vincent D'Onofrio, in Ed Wood, Vincent D'Onofrio was playing uh, Orson Welles with the voice of Maurice LaMarche. I did not know that he yeah. did that. Yeah, and it's pretty seamless, actually. But um, I've actually got a little bit of a review here. And it's also funny that there's kind of a connection between this and Ghostbusters 2 and the fact that they raised the Titanic in this episode. And in Ghostbusters 2, there's a part where a harbor master looks out of his window and sees that the Titanic has finally arrived. Uh, and there's the, you know, damaged Titanic with all the ghosts of the people. A lot of people found that offensive. Uh, <laughs> I, I found out later on is that some people were actually offended by that joke. You know, they thought too soon, which, eh, you know, whatever. So anyway, here's a little bit of a rundown of that episode. Um, the Pinky, Pinky and the Brain's uh, big plan here is to brainwash the human race, is to hypnotize them. And the the way that they have to do this is through a few ingredients. One of them is the secretions of a rare Peruvian frog. And they also need uh, the ingredients of white crab, which can only be found in the hole of the Titanic. So Pinky asks the brain, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get all this into the humans? And he says, you know, by means of the one thing humans love most, pancakes. <laughs> so their, their plan is to hold a pancake jamboree. <laughs> Yeah. So, of course, uh, Pinky has to be the guinea pig for this. And after it looks like it's going to work, they set out to get this missing ingredient, the white crab. Mm-hmm. So, 
After some super advanced computer research, the brain has decided that the missing ingredient is at the hole of the Titanic, so they're going to have to raise the Titanic and bring it back to their lab. How did they raise the Titanic? Well, I'm going to get into it. So by the cover of night, they steal a submersible from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute called the Alvin. And <laughs> But unfortunately, the steering wheel to the Alvin is locked by the club. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the I remember the club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the sub club. So, but uh, Pinky is able- I'm a member of the Subway Sub Club, too, by really? the way, card carrying. No yeah, kidding. Continue going. I, got, I didn't know that was a thing. I got to get on that. So uh, Pinky is able to rig the club so that they're able to make right turns. So the <laughs> brain says, you know what? That's all we need. We're able to get there via that. So um, after they rig the wheel, however, the Alvin has a tracking number on it that the CIA is probably going to be able to you know, use to follow them once they realize it's been stolen. So he has Pinky change it to just anything, a random, random combination of letters. So he changes it to NARF, N-A-R-F. Well, the CIA actually has a code that N-A-R-F spells out. Really? So we cut to the head of... The Central Intelligence Agency, voiced by John Vernon, actually, who's a legend in, in cartoon voices, and you might also know him as the Dean in Animal House. Oh, yeah. So he's talking to his assistant, uh, the assistant of the CIA, talking to his CIA assistant and says that NARF actually has a meaning. It spells out nuclear attack readiness formation. Oh, no. So this is big. But he <laughs> says it was probably stolen by some party animals who are just going to crash a party and... But we can't take any chances, so he needs the assistant to go recruit this, uh, to recruit a vet of the Cold War who's just a pro with this and would know exactly what to do. His name's Jack McGuire. So he <laughs> this tells sounds him, like an, uh, the premise for an action movie, it really an 80s does. action movie. It really does. So he Did Kurt him, Russell voice this guy? Yeah, right. that would imperfect. Yeah. And so he says, this is really upsetting. This is really upsetting the old man and the boys. And the assistant says, are you talking about the president and the Pentagon? He says, no, just an, an old man and my two sons, Josh and Aaron. So <laughs> you, need, you need to get on this right now. So he sets up, the, the assistant sets off to find Jack McGuire, who's the, uh, the only guy who's going to know how to handle this. That's such a great name for an action star. Oh, I know. So after a no spared expense mission is uh, set up, he gives the assistant. So after he tells the assistant about how the fact that this, they've spared no expense on this mission, he gives them the one bus ticket that they've been able to you know, pull together. That's their only resources for it. And so meanwhile, the Brain and Pinky have set off to find the Titanic, but their course, because they can only make these right turns, goes from two hours to seven months. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah. so this plan is getting way out of control at this point. Way out of control, but they say, you know what, it's worth it because we have got to brainwash the human race. We've got mm-hmm. to do it, and we've got to go find this white crab that only exists in the whole of the Titanic in order, you know, in order to uh, get the magic ingredient. So the CIA assistant finally tracks down Jack McGuire, who is now running a cheap touristy cruise line. And, uh, and after assuring Jack that the assistant is not into, is not just looking for a free tour, Jack agrees to go on the mission. So his clunky tour boat is suddenly uh, revealed that it's actually like a super advanced military grade warship. Mm. So Jack studies the brains route and quickly concludes that even though they are accidentally doing this, they are, they are in fact following a... German U-boat model that was invented by Heinz Grindelwald or something like that. So Jack decides he's going to cut him off before he can do what he only assumes could be one thing, a missile trajectory for the Oval Office. <laughs> yeah. So, but no, they're just going to look for an, an extra ingredient for pancakes. So this whole thing that they were going to do to get crab out of the Titanic has all of a sudden become American national security oh, yeah. interest. Okay. Yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So, this is this is kind of the normal uh, thing for the pinky and the brain to right. get involved in like world domination schemes that actually endanger human beings, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Jack and the CIA assistant catch up with them and drop depth charges down, uh, which eventually get Pinky and the brain on the intercom. So he says, "Reveal yourself." Well, the brain, his quick thinking, you know, just brings him to the the only thing that he could do, and he says, uh, "Yeah, you're speaking to Jack." Yeah, you're speaking to Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> so Jack is like, "Oh, excuse me, Mr. Cousteau. I'm so sorry. We didn't mean to bother you." And uh, they almost get away with it, but they hear Pinky talking on the other side of the intercom, which just completely gives them up. So, so after dropping a few more depth charges, uh, Pinky and the Brain are able to get out of the situation through their secondary submersible. So after a while, they, they dive deep enough to actually find the Titanic. And they, sit, and they send in a couple of... Uh, so they send in like a homemade rig consisting of just balloons and string, and they're able to... Inflate them and actually raise the Titanic. Oh, wow. Yeah. So once they get it to the surface, they they hop on board the Titanic. They blow the balloon and propel the ship across the sea directly in front of their lab. 
just conveniently. <laughs> so now they have the special ingredient, the crab, and they're going to go put it into the pancakes and just, you know, dominate the human race. So the, so, you know, we cut to the jamboree, the pancake jamboree in full swing and everything's going to work. Everything's going to be great. But the brain knows, it notices that nothing's happening. Nobody's really being hypnotized by this. And he asked the, he asked Pinky, you know, what's going on? You know, your, your recipe doesn't look like it's working. And the pinky says, oh, yeah, well, to get that bitter aftertaste out, I just didn't put in uh, the hypnotic <laughs> ingredient. You know, I figured that's, that's the best way for these people to enjoy it. And so the brain says, you know what? This is such as life. This is just how I should have assumed this was all going to go. Say la vie. Yeah, say la vie. So and did they end up making like a lot of money on the pancake festival? Uh, as uh, I mean, afterthought? Probably nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, of course not. This wasn't going to work out. <laughs> so, you know, the brain, the episode ends with the brain, uh, Telling Pinky that they're just going to go ahead with what they normally do in his signature line. I'm going to plan what we're going to do tomorrow night. Try and take over the world. <laughs> Animaniacs was such a cool cartoon because the actual three Animaniacs themselves were a great throwback to the Bugs Bunny 1940s, like the Warner Brothers cartoons. They, they had like kind of a, you know, they lived on the Warner's lot, I think, in the Warner's uh, yeah. water tower. And uh, the leads were Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. Yeah, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and they had a lot of adult jokes hidden in there. There's that whole joke about fingerprints. Do you remember yeah. that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they also, it was one of those, I guess, like a third of the episode would be the Animaniacs, and then there'd be a section for the, the Good Feathers. Do you remember them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so those were like pigeons that were mafia guys based on Goodfellas. And the whole story was kind of a joke about Goodfellas. There was a little... Um, not not Danny DeVito. Was uh, a little Joe Pesci yeah, <laughs> pigeon. Yeah, would always yeah. get mad. And I guess the other one was Pinky and the Brain. Uh, so at one point, Pinky and the Brain uh, had their own spinoff cartoon. Correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which this comes from. Yes, this actually, yeah. This, 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 this is actually what it comes from. Comes from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, you know, and I said earlier that it was ninety five to ninety eight. It actually goes back a little further than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the series began in ninety three. Yeah, ran, ran until ninety eight. And it was originally on Fox, and then I think it went over to the WB That's after correct. that. Yeah, yeah, which was not the best move for the Animaniacs. I think the Animaniacs actually probably could have lasted a lot longer had they stayed on Fox. But WB did not have a lot of exposure at the time. Yeah, it didn't really have quite the staying power there. No, and then eventually WB merged with UPN, became the CW, and you know. Uh, the Animaniacs were gone. What did you say, 95, 98? Uh, it was 93 through 98. 98, wow, they lasted that long. Crazy. Well, Yeah, and I, I mean, it'd be great to see uh, a comeback. It really would because it was it's um, it's a waste for them to have just disappeared. And, you know, I'm, I'm drawing a blank if there was any kind of comeback at some point. Uh, but if, so if anyone's out there, definitely, you know, shoot us a message and let us know because I would love to catch up with these characters and see what, whatever happened to them. It was yeah. great, great stuff. Yeah, in 2003, Ren and Stimpy actually did try to make a comeback on Spike TV. I think remember, I remember, you remember like Spike? That. It's like TV for men. I think it's actually still a station. Yeah, but it came from TNN, which was the national network. Uh, but before that, it was the Nashville network. So it was like this country station that eventually became Spike. Was that the channel? That had the network that showed uh, a different Star Wars movie like Six Nights of the Week or something like that. Oh yeah, I think they did. They, yeah, yeah, they, they okay. would do that. They got the license to, to show Star Wars yeah. and they would do that for well, a while. Then, then they get my vote for the best network of all time. <laughs> well, at least three nights of the week. Every now and then they have some cool stuff on it. Like they aired uh, WWE Raw for a long time. And they had ECW, which was this uh, weird uh, kind of really violent wrestling for a while, and they had UFC on it. And they always tried to start up their own cartoons, and they tried the adult cartoon thing, and it never worked. Yeah, like at one point they had Ch- uh, Kelsey Grammer in a cartoon called Gary the Rat, and Gary was this I remember that, yeah. rat who was an, an, an attorney. It's like, but that's pretty much where the joke ends. Yeah. You know? And then at one point they had um, Pamela Anderson as a stripperella, who was a stripper superhero, and you can imagine how funny that was. But uh, Pinky and the Brain didn't, uh, not Pinky and the Brain, excuse me, Ren and Stimpy did not last very long in there. I need to correct myself, too. When Ren and Stimpy originally aired in uh, 1991 on Nickelodeon, it aired with Rugrats and Doug. Not our real monsters. Our real monsters came much later. So the three of those together, and it's really funny because the three of those became huge cartoons. Like Doug was huge for a long time. I think actually oh, there was Doug a Doug was stage show in um, really in uh, Hollywood Studios at, at at Disney World for a okay. while. I, I do have to say that you know we may end up getting uh, a few frac- a few facts here wrong. Um, so I really recommend for anybody who wants to seek out these shows, go check go check out some information on Wikipedia because there's a ton of stuff on them. 
Yeah, so uh, it's funny that you say, you know, we do a Ghostbusters podcast, and there's a Ghostbusters connection with uh, the voice of the brain also being the voice of Egon. Well, right. Billy West, who did the voice of Stimson J. Cat, Stimpy, and he also did the voice of Wren for a few seasons, did the voice of Slimer on Extreme Ghostbusters back really? in 1997. Yeah, wow. so there's a little bit of a connection there. But Everything goes back. I want to go back to Wren and Stimpy for a little bit and talk about why I love this cartoon. Um, it is disgusting. And that it is one of the jokes they have on this show. This this show has its own like almost like culture built around it. It's really weird. It's it's part throwback to the old cartoons of the 1940s. Uh, it's part throwback to a like style of like kitsch. The opening theme song for it is like this kind of like jazzy, like a uh, Les Paul and Mary Ford type song. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because uh, a few years later, do you remember in Kill Bill where the song was in it? So there's a part where the bride goes to this club to kill Oren Ishii and the five, six, seven, eights, which are the band, these barefoot three Japanese ladies who are playing music on the floor. They start playing the Ren and Stimpy theme really? song. I, I know, I know, I can't place the song, but I know the scene that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's really weird. Cause I remember being in the theater and being like, Hey, that's, that's funny. That's the Ren and Stimpy theme song. Um, but the show had this weird like throwback quality to it, and it also was just it was very dangerous to show this kind of stuff to kids. I think because yeah, it's, I remember seeing this like on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, yeah. yeah. I remember one morning I didn't. I was trying to watch Ren and Stimpy, and my mom was trying to get me to go to church, and I was like, No, no, no! I want to stay here and watch Ren and Stimpy. And she was like, I, You know, this comes on Sunday morning before church. I bet the Russians put it on the air to make sure that kids in America don't wow. go to church. And I was like, oh, wait, no, that's not how anything works, lady. That's <laughs> not how the world works. But, um, yeah, Ren and Stimpy, it was so off-color and so sexualized in what it did. It was a sexually charged cartoon. And a lot of John Kay's artwork is, if you go back and look at the Ren and Stimpy 2003 relaunch, it was like this super hyper, like almost like pinup girl type models for all the female models. And Ren and Stimpy was also a very homoerotic show. Uh, There is a a few scenes, I don't know how off-color I can get here, but uh, there's a scene where uh, Ren and Stimpy are sawing wood. And the way they decide to do this is Stimpy puts a piece of wood on his back and Rin ties a saw around his waist. And they go about cutting it like that. And just the visual image, if you can think about that for a minute, is not something you really want to be showing a kid. And that's what's so crazy about the show is it aired from 1991 to 1995. Yeah, and you know, you really have to question, was this a kid's show or... Well, yeah, I, I, th- I think it was a Trojan horse den. I think that the guy who made it, John Kay, knew that kids would be into this stuff, especially like little boys. He didn't go too, too far with it, but at some point, he was fired from the show, actually. Really? In the middle of production. Yeah, Nickelodeon had bought the rights from to produce it and everything, and I think like by season three, he was butting heads with the standards and practices at Nickelodeon so hard, they were like, no, you're fired. Get out of here. And at that point, Billy West, who did the voice for... Uh, Stimpy and you, Billy West is like the biggest voice actor out there. He also did uh, the voice of the honeybee from the um, uh, Honey Nut Cheerios commercials, and he also did uh, Fry from Futurama, oh, wow. which is probably his most famous role. But don't, don't you he, have that guy's autograph on an? I, I do. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah, friend yeah. of mine went to a comic con and got him to sign it, and I wasn't there, so he, he just signed like Kyle. Why aren't you here? <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> I need to get that frame. But Billy West, awesome dude. He did the voice actually for Ren and Stimpy for a few seasons there too, but there's a long lasting impact that Ren and Stimpy had on animation. I think before this, there were a few adult cartoons, but after Ren and Stimpy aired, the floodgates really open for people who were raised on this stuff. Like you wouldn't have shows like South Park without Ren and Stimpy. You wouldn't have Beavis and Butthead. You definitely wouldn't have SpongeBob SquarePants, which SpongeBob is like the perfect version of Ren and Stimpy. I can definitely see the, the, Connection there in uh, yeah. animation style, for and, sure. And there's a few gags, too, that SpongeBob uses that Ren and Stimpy used, which were these scenes where something someone would maybe notice something disgusting about a person they were talking to, and the camera would freeze on it, and it would just have this like really well, super detailed drawing of like a sore encrusted mouth, you know, or like an eye with gunk yeah. in the corner, and you'd have like the sound of flies buzzing around. Again, not... Too traditionally kid friendly. No, I guess. not at all. Yeah. But but that made its way over into SpongeBob, and that was a gag that they mm-hmm. had. Um, Probably a little a little less. Yeah, in your face. So they had these reoccurring characters, which are pretty great too. Like Mr. Horse was this crazy, weird, psychotic, drugged out, like trippy horse that happened. And there was also um, a guy named Powder Toast Man. Do you remember Powder Toast Man? No, no. Okay, so Powder Toast Man was like this superhero that appeared on the show, and he had powdered toast for a head. And he would maybe come in and like save kids or something like that. And there was a reoccurring joke where he would 
fly back to uh, to bring the kids to safety and the kids would be riding on his back and they were having trouble staying on he'd be like just grab a hold of my buttocks kid is and that then, the like, joke he had powdered toast for a head or well and then he would just be kind of an idiot like you know the the the, the jokes in Ren and stimpy were like that everybody was an idiot on the show it was super hyper violent mm-hmm. and then that people would just do weird stuff like maybe powdered toast man would have to like fly through the air so what he would do with his body is like squat down like really hard before he's about to shoot off and his butt would be like in the primary portion of the shot I think I remember that, it's yeah. it's weird yeah uh, so but powdered toast man uh, and a lot of characters a lot of male characters in the show were uh, modeled after Kirk Douglas you know with his like predominant chin mm-hmm. and everything yeah. they had a little swirl on the chin and stuff but uh, it had a very distinct art style had a really great music style uh, the show used like uh, free licensed music so they'd have like orchestrated pieces in the oh, cartoon wow. so they'd have this like really well produced like score underneath the show of like you know this classic like you know like, Beethoven or Mozart or something like that underneath his disgusting you know like a cat that's like eating his own kitty litter or you know mm. uh, the most famous episode of Ren and is probably an episode called Space Madness mm. where the two of them and actually I think one in a award one time at Nickelodeon for being their most played episode ever and I think the oh, joke really? was that it took Ren and Stimpy's producers so long Spumco the company that made it so long to produce episodes that they just had to replay this one episode over and over again like I, I think I saw it every week for like a couple of months there but Ren and Stimpy didn't just live together as roommates like Bert and Ernie and do weird stuff. Sometimes they go on adventures. In this particular episode, they've been out in outer space for like a very, very, very long time. And Ren goes completely insane from being with Stimpy, who's a total idiot. And, you know, just imagine like the odd couple pairing, but then like on a space capsule that's been up in the space for like tens of hundreds of years. I don't know how yeah. long they're up there. Space madness is an actual real thing, by the way. Did you oh, know yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, astronauts that go up to space and orbit for a long time have a problem. Uh, they have, they're disassociated from society when they come back because seeing the earth from that distance makes all the petty squabbling we have going on. Yeah. I think it actually do us a, a lot yeah, of maybe, good. Maybe they have it right. Maybe they should stick everybody on this capsule and you should do a couple of orbits of the earth and you come back and be like, Oh man, we're just one people dude. So anyway, um, I think Ren and Stimpy, its lasting impression and effect on animation, especially adult animation, makes it the best cartoon of the and, 1990s. And I would say not just adult. Uh, you know, I think SpongeBob is definitely children's animation yeah. as well as adult. And you can you can see how some visual style carried over into that. Yeah. So, yeah. That's interesting. Those are really good points. And I kind of agree with uh, some of that. But I, I got to side with Pinky and the Brain um, just in terms of being a part of that you know, more adult and children brand of, of humor, having both of those things in one, uh, which, you know, they, they weren't the first guys to do that by any means. And certainly not the last guys. You, you definitely seen that carried over into Pixar and things, but, um, yeah, I, that's, that's, uh, that's about it. So those are our votes. Uh, I'm Kyle and I'm voting for Ren and Stimpy as the greatest cartoon of the 1990s. I'm Brady. I'm sticking with pinky in the brain. All right. So Brad, we're going to hand it back over to you. You tell us what your judges say, and we're going to be sitting here with bated breath because we have a lot of money writing on this. Yeah, and now we're going to go fight it out in the yard. And thank you very much for having us, Brad. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brad. Chief, mate, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world, the pinky and the brain. Yes, pinky and the brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. The pinky, the pinky and the brain. Brain, 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 brain. brain. Mark Landry, the creator and writer for uh, Bloodthirsty, One Nation Underwater. Is that is that how you like to be referred to? You want, I mean, it was you really your brainchild, correct? Yeah, that's that's accurate. Yeah, creator and writer. There were two different artists who did the the main story, and then a guest artist for the the epilogue at the end. But yeah, I I, I wrote it, I created the idea, and produced it through you know all of the artwork until. It was published by Titan Comics. Very nice. So you uh, have uh, kindly agreed to be the judge for this Ren and Stimpy versus Pinky and the Brain competition. You've uh, you've heard what everyone had to say. Both Kyle and Brady made very good points, and it was it was an interesting debate. 
because you could tell both of them had a lot of love for both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was a nice stroll down memory lane, also for me. Uh, not only because I'm I, I'm friends with with uh, Kyle and Brady from way back in you know the '90s when these shows were actually on, but also to go back and think about these shows again, which. I, I have to sympathize with Kyle and Brady. It's very hard to pick, especially at first when you just say, out of the blue, what would you pick, Ren and Stimpy or Pinky and the Brain? I'm like, uh, what? You know, it's, it's very hard to, to just, on a snap judgment, choose. So I'm glad they broke it down for me a little bit. And uh, I think I, I'm, I'm more prepared to make a decision here. In different ways, I love both these shows and Kyle and Brady landed upon this well where both were shows that were sort of designed for kids but were made to have a really strong adult streak to them that the kids would miss especially Ren and Stimpy there was a lot of stuff where you look back it's like wow <laughs> I really shouldn't have seen that when I was young right indeed it was very like Kyle said you know sexually suggestive or had some undertones and really gross you know when they pop into those painted close-ups of like pores and boogers and acne and stuff it was really it was really advanced I think for its time but I, I think for kids we kind of got it on a, an unconscious level it, it sort of spoke to something basic within us I guess I'd say and I think if, if an art if an artwork can do that that is really in my opinion pretty advanced so I, I would give it definitely points for that and we can um, expand on that idea as we go forward here. They each talked about one particular episode, and you rewatched the specific episodes that they they referred to. I did, yeah. I wanted to make sure I gave each each their uh, fair shot at, at winning this competition. So I went back and watched the Space Madness sketch, I would say. It's a mini it's a piece of an episode for Men and Stempy. And then I watched Das Mouse, the episode, the entire episode, Das Mouse from Pinky and the Brain. I, I guess... We'll, Overall, my thought would be that Ren and Stimpy as a variety show is, I think, just far superior to Pinky and the Brain, which is a spinoff of a, of a really great variety show, Animaniacs. And I think Animaniacs, Animaniacs up against Ren and Stimpy would probably have had a better, a better chance, not to get right to the judgment at, up front, but I think there's really no contest when you analyze these two. In my opinion, Ren and Stimpy is just far and away superior. Well, in, in this case, you're the judge. Yours is the opinion that matters. So we're, we're giving this one to Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> That's right. So I've got reasons for that. I didn't mean to like blow the judgment right up front, but um, you know, we, can, we can work backwards on why. I'm with you. I understand completely what you're saying. It was tough because when we put these brackets together, there was a lot of back and forth if we should put Animaniacs or put Pinky in the Brain. And... I think Pinky and the Brain was probably at its best when it was part of Animaniacs. Mm -hmm. They were very good when it was one segment in a three-segment episode that you would see, and they would only be on the show once or twice a week. Right, yeah. It's like it's like if you take an SNL sketch, you know, that was really good, like the cheerleaders from the 90s, and you try and build a whole movie around it, it's really not fair to this to the content. It was tough. It was when Pinky and the Brain were at the best was when they were part of Animaniacs. However, they were definitely the best part of Animaniacs. It made sense that they would be spun off into their own show. It, I'm not saying it was a, a really weak show. It was, a, it was a strong show. I'm just saying that, you know, comparatively, Ren and Stimpy had, say, on a stylistic level, Ren and Stimpy was superior, and on a level of writing, it was superior. It, it was just artistically more uh, of a... The difference between brilliance and genius. There was I mean, nothing like Ren and Stimpy. You know, and they, there had been some adult cartoons. Uh, the Simpsons. Mm -hmm. But The Simpsons was very different where... I mean, I'm a huge Simpsons fan. But The Simpsons was... Matt Groening and the other producers trying to make a sitcom where the characters just happened to be animated. Right. And Ren and Stimpy was, okay, we're in this crazy world that... Because it's animated, we're just going to make really turn into the craziness and ramp it up. Yeah, they leaned into the surreal quality, and, and the art was really supportive of that. I thought. Whereas when I watched Dot's Mouse for Pinky and the Brain, it was like we got to we got to hurry up and get this artwork done to tell this story. And I don't want to bag on the on the cast or the crew, you know, and the and the writer, but it seemed as though the Ren and Stimpy artists had more time. They had more time to think about the gags they wanted to do. They had more time to get it right. And it seemed like Pinky and the Brain just needed to, to get it churned out. 
you know, in terms of the writing as well, the Das Mouse, just coming from being a writer myself, I looked at Das Mouse and I was like, okay, well, at the beginning, Pinky tries the pancakes and they're bitter and they, they taste terrible. They're even missing an ingredient. So at the beginning, he pretty much knows he doesn't want to use the thing that makes it bitter. So that becomes the climax of the episode that he just le- leaves it out. It just didn't make sense to me as a, as a as a structured story. Not that Space Madness is like Inception or anything, um, <laughs> but but it but it works for what it wants to be. Space Madness is this paranoid delusion that's sort of melting down reality, and it works as that. Ren and Stimpy was pretty much viewed as a passion project, and there was one creative mind behind it. Kyle and Brady kept calling him Chris K because his last name's too much for me to pronounce. I would agree with that. Came out with fewer episodes. There was always an issue. I remember when Ren and Stimpy was first out. I, I remember the pandemonium that was around Ren and Stimpy. Because mm-hmm. I was college age when that was out. So you know, show how it worked on several levels. You had all the kids who loved watching it. And then I had all my uh, stoned college buddies who would want to watch it again. Right, right, yeah. And I think I was in, you know, I don't know when, when was it? Like early 90s or mid 90s? Early um, to mid 90s, yeah. Yeah, I was in like middle school when it, when, it, when it first came out. And my dad was always protective about what I watched, but he was funny. You know, he's a funny guy himself. When I first started watching Ren and Stimpy, he'd walk by the TV and say, what is that crap? You know, turn that crap off. And then one day I said, no, Dad, come on, sit down and watch it. And he sat down and he just laughed. He laughed out loud. Pinky and the Brain wouldn't have done that. You know, he would have probably just been bored with Das Mouse. Ren and Stimpy was funny for adults and kids in the way that Pinky and the Brain might have tried to accomplish and that Animaniacs maybe did accomplish. Don't get me wrong, like the people who made Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain, you're talking about Steven Spielberg producing, you know, these people are professionals and they're they're great at what they do. But then as you said, John Kay was an artist who wanted to do a specific thing and he was like the Salvador Dali of cartoons and he made something great. Right. Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs and what was it before that? Tiny Toons and Freakazoid came afterwards. Those were all some inspired concepts and some fun execution and some cute episodes. However, you did get a little bit of feeling that they were being produced by a factory. They need to have X amount of episodes. They had contracts to fulfill the companies that wanted to air these episodes. So a lot of varied quality with all of those. Mm-hmm. So you would have great episodes of Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, but then you would also have some where you could tell the artwork wasn't quite quite as good. Agreed. Yeah, I do remember good, really good episodes of of Pinky and the Brain that that stood out. I, I think, and I've not watched them since I was a kid. But the one where where Brain's playing, I'm not sure if this was a sketch on Animaniacs or if it was an entire episode of Pinky and the Brain. But it was a it was an episode where Brain decided the way to take over the world was to become a country music star. Right. And he became this character called Billy Joe Bob Brain. It was like Brain and then long pants, like a long pants robot suit or something that made him seem like he was tall. And he would he was trying to control everyone's mind with his country music. And that I thought was brilliant. That stuck with me. Uh, I know there was another episode, and then I think it was another sketch, where for the first time everything went right. For Pinky and the Brain, and they were trying to break into Fort Knox. Mm-hmm. Everything was going smoothly. It's like, okay, we've done it. And then they pick up a gold bar, they lift it up, and it just smashes them because they never, didn't think, oh, if everything works right, we don't know how to carry a, we, we can't carry a gold bar because we're small mice. <laughs> right, right. I remember that image now that you say that in my mind. I remember, I remember them picking it up one on each end of the bar and it crushing them. That was, that was hilarious. Yeah, so they would have good episodes and they would have really good episodes, but. Because the oversight was different, because they were producing more, it sort of ends up being a, a less is more situation. Because, and I know uh, Chris K with Ren and Stimpy got into some battles with uh, the studios because he wouldn't produce enough content for them. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, better to make it good than than fast. And every great artist really will stick to those guns. And I know, even as a producer myself, like I've had to not work with artists because they couldn't go fast enough, but their work was awesome. And that's uh, just, you know, the, re- the, the, real, the reality of business, unfortunately. So I get it, but we all remember Ren and Stimpy and you know, the quality of that show. 
in all the sketches of the, sh- of the show, Kyle and Brady talked about Powdered Toast Man. There was the unshaven yak. It was like the he's like the tooth fairy that comes in <laughs> comes into your house at night and shaves and leaves shaving scum and like the kids in the morning got up and they would see all the shaving scum in the sink and be just so overjoyed you know as if the <laughs> as if the tooth fairy just left them 10 bucks it was just so so brilliant and he would i think um i forget it was if it was powder toast man i think a power toast man would fly butt first <laughs> i think kyle and brady talked about that oh yeah just thinking about the visuals makes me laugh there's no there's no contest really at the end of the day yeah, so I think you agree. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Kyle and Brady both did a great job. They presented good points. This this round goes to Ren and Stimpy. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> well fought, gentlemen. Hello, boys and girls. This is your old pal, Stinky Whizzleteats. This is a song about a whale. No. This is a song about being happy. That's right. It's the happy, happy, joy, joy song. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy, happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy, joy. I don't think you're happy enough. That's right. I'll teach you to be happy. I'll teach your grandmother to suck eggs. Now, boys and girls, Let's try it again. Happy, happy, joy, joy. 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 Happy, happy, joy, joy, joy. If and you ain't the granddaddy of all liars, the little critters of nature, they don't know that they're ugly. That's very funny. A fly marrying a bumblebee. I told you I'd shoot, but you didn't believe me. Why didn't you believe me? Happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, 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 joy, joy, joy. Self-esteem is for everybody. Self-esteem is for everyone. You can dream and be anybody. Self-esteem is how you get it done. That wraps this episode of the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast. Big thanks to Jarf. He'll be back soon, perhaps to fix another film franchise. Also, big thanks to Kyle and Brady. If you aren't already subscribed to Ghostbusters Minute, you should do so right away. Also, remember that any review for Ghostbusters Minute on iTunes results in a $1 donation to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation from the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, which will be matched by Kyle and Brady. And it doesn't cost you anything. Of course, we do recommend you go to cff.org and make a donation to the Baton Rouge branch of that fantastic organization. And finally, extra big thanks to Mark Landry for judging our best of the 90s match. For more info regarding his excellent comic, Bloodthirsty, One Nation Underwater, go to bloodthirstycomic.com. Mark will be back soon to talk more about his work as a comic writer and as a screenwriter. He is a great guy and a fantastic guest. Lots of stuff upcoming to the Cosmic Geppetto podcast. We have great interviews, returning panelists, and new guests. So, till next time, stay marvelous. to the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Rate and review us while you are there. Follow us on Twitter at Cosmic underscore Geppetto and we will follow you back. Email us at CosmicGeppetto at Comcast.net. We'd love to hear your ideas for upcoming episodes. Our website is CosmicGeppetto.com. It's fun. You should visit. Tune in next time to see if Brad debuts another goofy theme song. Take care. 
Just a Minute by Brad Mendenhall. You know, me. Vocals provided by Amy Kenrup. Find out more about Amy at www.midnightdrive-oh.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.